an exiled sorceress on the trail of a fantastic treasure. Today on Bump... Today on Bumpster Book Club... <laughs> Today on Dumpster Book Club, we're reading Silver Glass, Web of Wind by J.F. Rivkin. I'm Sean. I'm Mimi. And I'm Lindsay. <laughs> Uh, today we have Lindsay, our resident barbarian expert. Sure. Which is not Mimi, the barbarian expert. <laughs> and this book is like the clean, secret taste of ancient stone. <laughs> oh my god. This one, we read two books, or Mimi and Lindsay read, <laughs> Mimi read two books, Lindsay read one and a half books, and I read one book. Well, this book was um, a gift from our friends, Nick and Emmy. But Friend of the show, Nick and Emmy. <laughs> Turns out it's the second book in a series, um, but the cover was good enough that we wanted to do it anyway, so. It was so good, Mimi and Lindsay had to read the first book. <laughs> Glad it did. The cover of this book, it's like a barbarian, but from a Jane Fonda workout video. Yeah. <laughs> She's got the big hair, headband, and a very revealing leotard. I'm glad in the book she's way buffer than this, because this is a pretty disappointing... She looks tough with her, like, uh, chair leg, <laughs> but in the book she's way tougher which I appreciated. Well, I was trying to find info about the author. I actually found more. It was easier to find info about the artist of this cover, oh. but he mostly does like airbrushed pinup art. Makes sense. Gigantic boobs, that kind of thing. And it's a, it's a wraparound drawing. All the way to the back cover. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what this part of the series and the illustrator is kind of known for, are these wraparound covers. I looked it up a little bit, and people were really impressed by the wraparound covers, and it is a nice touch. It's it's pretty good. I think this is the, the scene where they were, they spent a night in jail, basically, right? Yeah. yeah. I was thinking it's a pretty not great scene to do, because it's such like a minor point in the book. But then everything's a minor point in the second <laughs> book. <laughs> And also, what else would you draw? Grapes. Like think, Thinking of the stories, especially the second book, which parts would you draw? And I guess them being in jail is good enough. Probably should have just made the barbarian even bigger. Just fill the entire cover <laughs> with Like her. a beautiful vineyard. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Be a very different cover, though. So, J.F. Rivkin is a pseudonym, and it was pretty hard to find any information but I did find something that said it's actually two women who are both unidentified. But mm. sometimes they write alone, but usually they're actually writing together. And when they appear in person at like events and stuff, they're JF Rivkin A and JF Rivkin B. Wow. Are they that famous where all of this is necessary? They have another pseudonym that they also use, I think, or at least one of them uses that's... 
Ellen Fox with two X's. Apparently, that's also a pseudonym with someone else named Jerry Friedman. And I'm wondering if the JF stands for Jerry Friedman. But when I looked up her works, they were all like a bunch of serious books about history and genetics. So maybe she just doesn't want that to be associated with this kind of sordid sorcery fantasy. I don't know. I just mean, how many people do you think go to a JF Rivkin signing? I mean, if they're around, we should definitely get ours signed, <laughs> if possible. That would be fun. But I don't imagine there would be many other people at the event. I did see that they, the, the pairing, J.F. Rivkin, they wrote another book called Age of Dinosaurs, or maybe it's a series, Age of Dinosaurs, Age of Dinosaurs, Tyrannosaurus Rex, which I personally am, like, super excited about. <laughs> yeah. So that might be my next read after maybe completing the rest of the series. Yeah. So. The whole series. Yeah, wow. I, might, I might go all the way. I'm not sure yet. I was planning to also. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I haven't read the first one, so I don't know how good it can get. Okay, so I didn't read the first book, and... I think I have a lot of questions, but I may have already forgotten most of them. I'm assuming all of my questions will be answered by your guys' discussion of the plot of the first book. We'll We'll try. We'll do our best. I definitely was reading the second book in the context of thinking of like, oh no, Sean didn't read the first one. Like, oh my god, what? Yeah, so the first book was pretty enjoyable. Yeah. Um... But as soon as I started reading book two, I realized, oh, wait, book two is like a side quest. While reading book two, I could just from the flashbacks and dreams, I could tell that book one was just a a way better story. Yeah, for the most part. Okay, so book one, Silverglass, starts with basically our two characters getting introduced at the Lame Fox Tavern. Corson is the name of the barbarian hero. And she's been hired by the two wealthiest families to assassinate, like, a sorceress who's been causing trouble for them. And she's doing, like, a double deal where she's trying to, you know, collect on this bounty from both sides. (sighs) Corson isn't quite a barbarian, though. Nick describes her, like, as barbarous and stuff, but she was in the military and has, like... She doesn't fight with wanton rage or anything. She's pretty disciplined and has a lot of training. She's just an oversized woman. (laughs) Is really what it is. And she has some of the Conan sense of humor and and style. She's very roguelike also. Yeah, it's kind of a rogue barb fighter combo. She does have a military background, but I think it comes up a few times that she's kind of over being in the military because I think she didn't really like that kind of discipline, so... Yeah, the term barbarian is definitely thrown around a few times, but it's definitely more in a derogatory slash joking way, and mostly from Nictasia. So while she's at this tavern, um, there's kind of like a... There's a bard playing at the tavern, some harp music or something, and who's then pickpocketing and starts like a bar fight and picks Corson to defend her for some reason. And Corson does get into this fight just to, you know, just to fight and um, ends up following this bard like musician outside into 
her house slash apartment. This happens like really fast too, which is basically like the tone for like most of the action in this book. It starts, it happens, and then they're there. And uh, all the, the second book too. Yeah. Is just yeah. No, it's definitely very what fast. they do. Yeah. Not in like a good way, like in a, like in a poorly edited movie way, like yeah. a like a samurai cop way, where just like bam, it's over, and we're somewhere else or something else is happening. Yeah. Well, the pacing in book one is a lot better than book two for sure. I hope so. Yeah. So turns out the harpist pickpocket is actually the target that she was hired to assassinate, and Nictasia, that's that's her. Interesting. I wouldn't think Nictasia to be a pickpocket based on the second book. I don't think she was. She, she was in disguise yeah. as a pickpocket. Yeah. The person who got into the bar fight was in her employ, and it was all like a ruse to pick the strongest fighter from this shady bar to hire her to be a bodyguard. Turns out to be Corson. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> very, very intricately planned. <laughs> Was this plot explained? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So actually <laughs> So she is a member of one of these wealthy powerful families, but everyone hates her. So she has a ton of money but can't be out in the open. So she hires Corson cuz she's she can pay more. Uh, Corson pretty quickly agrees to go with her. They're trying to get out of her out of the city because um, it's not safe for her there. This also kind of sets up the main story arc, which is that Nictasia is trying to get out of her home city across the ocean to meet up with her magician lover. Which one is? Is this Ben? Yeah, yes. this okay. is Ben. Because there names. were like a few... He has, like, four names. He has a lot of names. Like everyone does oh, in this okay. book. And it's but super also, confusing. Ben for short. There's also, like, her cousin. Oh, no. This is way before that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah. On the way out of the city, it's very Dungeons and Dragons, this whole book. Including, like, how they meet at a tavern. They have, like, the class skills that they've picked. And then... And kind of the whole book felt, like, a little bit like reading someone's Dungeons & Dragons game. Like, they wrote it down in a story. Um, Second book, for sure, too. Mm -hmm. There's, like, random encounters. Like, oh, there's bandits. And they have to fight the bandits. Or, like... Get stopped by the, the town guard. Yeah, they have to bluff their way out of the town guard. And it's, like, one encounter after another. But, um... Nictasia takes a lot of baths. Oh, yeah. She loves bathing. She loves bathing. That is, like, <laughs> the most important thing. Did you have anything you wanted to add about Oh, that? about baths? Yeah. No, just that she loves them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's mentioned, like, often, and often in the same wording. I should have written it down. But, like, they use the same set of words over and over again to be like, she's ready to take a bath now. Like, she's like, all right. Oh, yeah, when yeah. she gets home from a tired day and all she wants she's is like, a bath. Or... nothing better than a bath yeah. after this. That happens a few times. That happens, like, book. five or six times in the first book. It's like, all right, baths. Yeah. <laughs> and then there is a scene also during this sort of sequence where Nictasia basically just seduces Corson. And it came almost out of nowhere. Yeah. 
And it was, Corson was a little bit also like kind of thrown off by it. And it was like a little bit strange. So I really thought that it was going to be like um, the Knot World where this is, because they just had a fight. They've been separated for a little bit. Nictasia comes back, suddenly really seductive. It's like, you know, is this really Nictasia? Is this like a, a spirit? You know, something dangerous? Nope. Whoa. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in so. The, so in the second book, they're very platonic. So, but there were like some weird things between them. But the whole time I thought they just weren't interested in each other reading the second book. And then at the very end of the second book, Nictasia kisses Corson on the nose. (laughs) Well, that's a weird thing to do to your friend. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And that that made me think maybe in the first book. Mm -hmm. But I I kept thinking, no, this author wouldn't do that. (laughs) Oh, oh, they would. They would. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that I felt, I feel like making them like lovers is stooping low for some reason. Hmm. It puts it in like a trashier realm. I don't know if it was in the reading of it, but just reading the second book where they're platonic friends, I felt like the relationship between them was much more interesting having them just be like good friends. Um, The romantic part of the relationship in the first book is never really much more than occasional sexual encounters yeah. and then the rest of it is just like their exact same friendship yeah. from book two so it friends was, with benefits yes it is very much that yeah. kind of situation it was a little interesting because it was also like sex scenes aren't like in enough detail for it to be like really like a smutty book or something it's like it's true it's more <laughs> that would be there for character development but i was kind of expecting these two to have like more sexual tension built up between them before this but it wasn't like that. Yeah, it seems like it's there, but they don't really. It's just there, care. so you can. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then they get to the next big city, which is like a port. This is where they plan to leave from to get to the place where Ben is. Yeah. Yeah. So they have to find a ship that'll smuggle them safely across the ocean. Both Corson and Nictasia have some familiarity with this city they already have people that they kind of expect to meet nictasia also anytime she goes here goes in disguise as like a messenger boy and so everyone knows her as this messenger boy character yeah and she's like also like flirting with all these ladies as this messenger boy character nictasia is so different from the like the nictasia in the first book is a completely different character from the nictasia in the second book yeah yeah. In the second book, she's like a stuffy uh, scribe healer who doesn't like fun, <laughs> who doesn't like getting dirty, loves baths. Yeah. I mean, some of that is there, but like there's other stuff going on. To I think at this point about. also she's like very excited with the prospect of like getting to her lover and like less things have happened to her so far than have when you get to the second book so like to me it makes sense that her personality is a little bit different now yeah knowing the climate of things that she goes through would definitely have an impact okay so this town also has a tavern where corson's heartthrob is so this is Stefan, who is like a burly, hairy tavern owner. Um, He's very into his tavern. Yeah. He's very, this is like very proud of his business. <laughs> and Corson's the one who can't commit because she's always got to be 
Rogan. There's like a flashback to how they kind of met and how Corson originally seduced him that I thought was really funny. (laughs) Because she's like drinking at the tavern, kind of causing a ruckus, just being like a nuisance. And so Stefan tries to like throw her out and she like gets up and she yells, I think you're beautiful! (laughs) And as she's punching him. (laughs) And he's like kind of confused, but he tries to punch her back. And as he's like punching her, she like just puts her hand under his shirt and starts like touching his body. And he's like (laughs) too freaked out. And he just like leaves. He just like goes to his room. (laughs) And... She just feels a little bit like sexual harassment. <laughs> yeah. So she follows him back to his room. Oh, it definitely feels like sexual harassment. <laughs> and uh, then they bone. Yeah. And everyone hears it. Yeah. It's like very loud. Because <laughs> they're so large. They're yeah. both such yeah. large people. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but first book as they're on their way there and kind of like leaving from there like anytime Corson is talking about Stefan it's kind of like the same tone that like you imagine that she would you know write his name in her diary and draw hearts around it that kind of thing so uh Corson can't resist a fair or flea market she's like super into buying things looking at things looking at beautiful things and she just got paid for Mictasia so she's like ready to go um this is where she picks up her fancy mirror which is the silver glass yeah that's where the name of the book comes yeah. from mm-hmm. she's super in trinkets oh yes yeah. trinkets are her favorite thing and money just like burns a hole in her pocket <laughs> yeah i feel like that is very much like a character trait that i would like associate with a dnd character yes there's like a i mean everyone has these traits in this book but like that one especially it's like oh, build a cool character you like yep yep there's another encounter with one of the bad guys so Nictasia was supposed to marry her cousin, and this was part of why she's running away, um, and part of why everyone hates her, but he captures her. There's, like, a torture scene, kind of. Who tortures who? The 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 cousin cousin is, like... He's Lord Theron? Torture her into marrying him? Uh, no, I think he was just gonna kill her for revenge or something. And he's pretty upset about it. And I think he wanted... Oh, you know what? He wanted information about where to find Corson because Corson killed all his guys, so... Right. There's but, some casualties as they're escaping Yeah, the Corson, <laughs> for a good guy, Corson does not give a shit about just killing people. No. She will She will kill you when you're down. <laughs> She'll kill you when you're sleeping. She doesn't care. I'm chaotic neutral! <laughs> <laughs> um. So this is kind of where magic started coming up a little bit more um because while she's like tied up nictasia basically is like casting a spell to like kill herself so that she can't reveal any information but corson shows up and saves her um how does corson know uh she i think she was supposed to meet her there at this inn that she's staying in which like no one else is supposed to know about or she knew she was staying there and she's going to get her because stefan has arranged passage for the two of them on a friend of his 
boat, a smuggler who is a friend of his, uh, her boat. Um, so she's going to get her. Yeah. And the place that he's holding her is actually a property that she owns. Oh, yeah. It's just like an abandoned house on the coast. Yes. That has like a secret cove access to he the takes ocean. Her. No, they're not even in the inn because she went to the house after she went to the inn. She went to the inn to make people think she was staying at the inn, but she was actually staying at the secret <laughs> house that Gosh. she lived in. And that's where he found her, I think. No, I'm sure. I'm not sure. No, but he didn't take so her to the house. Complicated she schemes. went to the house because she makes a huge deal His when she's going in the inn, so His that people know. brought her there. Right? That's true. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so. Corson kills all the henchmen. She kills this villain, rescues Nictasia, and they get on the boat. Passage is rough. Yeah. Nictasia's, like, seasick the whole time. The boat captain? One of Stefan's, like, other love interests, so... Oh, is it... There's some tension. Uh, the D lady? Destiver. Yeah. Destiver. Who, there's another D character named Diaster in the second book. <laughs> And they were the same person. I was like, wait, why is this lady here? And why is Corson cool with her all of a sudden? Um, they also uh, have sex again on the boat. Oh. Jeez Louise. Yeah. And this is where they start doing the, the mirror spell also. Which is why the mirror is so important. Is uh, Corson starts like poking around in Nictasia's, um spell books. There's a spell to like see... You can, like, spy on stuff in the mirror. Then Nictasia's trying to explain how it's, like, dangerous because what you're seeing, you don't know if it's real or if it's something in your head or if it's the future or the past. And also, whenever you cast a spell, there's a cost to it. So if you're spying on your lover, the cost of that might be that you don't ever get to be with them or something like that. But you don't know what the cost is going to be unless you're, like really powerful magician sorcerer whatever corson corson like understands that to a point but she's also like yeah i don't know about all this magic <laughs> yeah but an explanation of magic would have helped the second book too because it, it just seemed like whatever the fuck <laughs> Um, yeah. In book one, I was actually thinking that you might kind of like the system of magic, but then when I got to book two, I was like, oh, you're not going to get any of that. Because <laughs> while they're um, kind of at the coast, that's where also this idea comes up where there's like certain places that have magical power being by the ocean. You can draw on that power while you're there. There's also a cost to using a power that is, you know, doesn't belong to you. So it's dangerous. Yeah, I was thinking that the the magic reminded me kind of of the earth sea books especially the whole cost and like locations and like using other people's stuff uh not i mean earth sea had a different like way you do it mm -hmm. but the the hesitation to use it because there's a cost and you don't know the effects of what will happen yeah when you do it definitely and then, uh sort of dangerous locations and like like the idea of you seeing something, but you're not sure what you're actually seeing is also in the Earthsea books. And just the, the amount of it, like there are people who are very powerful, but they try to use it as few little as possible. And usually the magic only comes up at the end and yeah. stuff. It reminded me a lot of the Earthsea uh, trilogy or yeah, that was five-tology. It is definitely better done in book one. <laughs> But even and, even in book two, I, I got a sense of, I didn't like the way it was used, but the amount of it 
and like the way it was like treated i, I liked because it reminded me of Earthsea. yeah um and in book one after they get off the boat there's another town there's more like town encounters more shopping they like <laughs> <laughs> restock um then they basically have one more forest to get to to get to where ben is and this forest he basically lives in the forest and it's like an enchanted forest and people do not go through it unless they have to but sometimes merchants will try to like take take it as a shortcut so they find a caravan and they they're gonna go through this forest a lot of spooky stuff happens where people disappear in the night while they're on the trail because things in the forest like lure you off the path go off the path you're you're screwed <laughs> you're you're pretty much done it's over um and it's so it's like uh in the hobbit yeah similar what is it called middle mid markwood yep mm-hmm <laughs> Like Merkwood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Similar, except I think even worse things happen. Even worse than Merkwood. <laughs> well, and then, so once someone disappears, they can kind of, like, come back and appear at the edge of the of the path, try to convince more people to, like, you know, come, come join us. Not really them. They're, like, ghouls or, like, ghosts or spirits or something. Like the, like the marshes in uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't they look pretty gross, too? Or, like, they can? Because I thought there was that one guy that, like, terrified that lady so much because he looked so gross. But he was her, like, lover, maybe? Yeah. I think it was just that it was, like, weird. It was super weird that he was back. It was, like, very eerie tone to this part of the book. I might have misinterpreted that. It was Um, pretty weird. Yeah. Pretty weird in this forest. (laughs) This is also where Nyctasia and why... The reason that Ben is out here is because if you are part of the forest and living in the forest, it's kind of this unlimited source of power. And she kind of does her first exploration out into the forest alone. There's kind of a cool little spell where she basically trades daggers with Corson and promises to bring it back. That promise like binds her to come back. But uh, when she's out in the forest, it's like the magic kind of is almost too powerful for her and keeps her there and but she finds the guy that disappeared and like who's clearly dead but his ghost is just bothering them on the rest of the journey (laughs) (laughs) um then uh yeah the like ben's proximity to this forest is like the reason why he lives out there and like why he's able to control land that he controls yeah um so then there was another bad guy sort of who's the first bad guy uh like her family and like the 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 Rahashtalids. Yeah. <laughs> so there's like another really powerful sorcerer who I think was named Castanid, who previously lived in this castle, but Ben like kicked him out and took over his castle. So while they're going there, Castanid like shows up and gives them like a ominous warning, and they kind of ignore it. Like, no, you got kicked out. It's our castle now. We're gonna go there. Um. They make it to this castle, and the castle was also very eerie and, like, dreamlike. It felt like the whole time where Nyctasia goes to meet Ben, but then Corson is there, and, like, they won't let her see her. The servants and stuff are, like, kind of creepy and keep them separated. And Yeah, Nyctasia no longer seems like the person that Corson knows. She seems pretty enchanted, or by Ben, kind of. Like, she's not saying the same things and acting pretty weird. And then... 
Corson, I think, meets up with Castanid, and there's, like, a final wizard battle. Well, Corson, like, knocks Nictasia out, and, like, they, uh, and then all four of them meet up. Ben, Nictasia, Castanid, and Corson, and, uh, I don't know. This okay. <laughs> is really confusing. I'm reading what you wrote on, and I'm like, oh, right, okay, I guess. That's what does what a happened. wizard battle look like in this um, universe? It was kind of like they're just facing off. They know that Ben is like way more powerful than any of them, but he's just gonna leave. He just wants to take Nictasia. Um, but then Corson figures out that she's wearing like a golden wedding band. And so all the time that they spent earlier, like talking about jewelry and like fashion shopping and stuff, Corson looks really good in gold, and that's why she wears gold earrings. And gold isn't that good looking on Nictasia. She only wears like silver jewelry. Like all that comes back. Like all this fashion sense ends up saving the day because Corson like sees that the ring on her finger and pulls it off. And I think that kind of frees Nictasia a little bit from this like enchantment. Who in, did Ben enchant her or cast an enchanter? Ben. Okay, so he's like a bad guy also. Kind of. Yes. <laughs> power is a little too much. For yeah. Him. Ah, the power. Yeah. Is too much. Yes classic power trope yeah where like he kind of became the forest or like the forest like took over his mind kind of so then he kind of turns his power on corson and almost kills her but nictasia goes to like protect corson with castanet's help and ben thinks that she's like betraying him and then it's not clear whether it's Castanet that kills him, or he's just, like, so heartbroken that he kills himself. But he does the, the like, Obi-Wan Kenobi thing where he just, like, vanishes and all that's left is his cloak. And that's kind of, that's the final confrontation. <laughs> Speaking of, of jewelry, we missed a pretty important part about jewelry. <laughs> the earrings? Yeah! That's, like, a huge... What? Well, well I don't know if it's it. huge, but I feel like it kind of develops Corson and um, Nictasia's relationship a little bit more. So a long time ago, uh, Corson had some gold earrings that she won from some sort of battle or treasure. For some reason, she has these gold earrings that she really likes, and it's like a huge deal that... Someone gave them to her, Someone gave them to her. While she's in the army? Yes, that's probably what happened. Um, It's a huge deal that, like, she really likes gold. Nictasia's like, no, only silver, no gold. Um, so they are robbed when they're leaving the first city and they take Corson's earrings, which is like a, the worst part of being robbed for Is that Newt? No, no, no. Was he part of that group of oh, bandits? yes. That was Newt. Okay. Yes. Yeah. But there was, there was like a ton of them. Cause like, mm-hmm. Corson probably could have killed any 10 of them, yeah. but there was like too many. So. Yeah. Um, so they take her golden earrings and that's very sad for her. Um, she's pretty, well, I don't think she thinks she's sad. She's She's deeply humiliated. Deeply humiliated, yeah. Um, and so when, uh, Nictasia gets to the second city, um, Chiastlum, perhaps. Yes. Uh, they, she, like, goes through some of her possessions that she has stashed there, and in it are a pair of golden earrings, which she thinks, oh, perfect, I'll give these to Corson to replace her other gold earrings. I can't wear them because they're not silver. Mm-hmm. So she gives these earrings to Corson. Turns out that 
they're poisoned. She didn't know. Someone put poison <laughs> on them to kill her if she were to wear them. Uh, yeah, they're poisoned. Um, and she gives them to Corson, and then they have an argument and, like, don't talk for a long time. And Corson storms away and, like, so... Yes. And then, but then somehow Nectasia finds out that she's, like, really sick. She's like, oh, no. The earrings. They're poisoned. <laughs> so she goes on a quest to find Corson, who's, like, stashed away in this random little inn. Finally finds her, takes the earrings out, and then, like, nurses her back to health with the combination of magic and, uh, traditional medicine, maybe. Yeah. Um, but that's, they have, like, a lot of moments then, I think. (laughs) It, like, kind of makes more sense that they would, like, then stick together after that, because they kind of have both saved each other. Yeah. Ish. More or less. (laughs) The healing scene there, I think, was kind of interesting also, where, like, Corson is, like, trapped kind of in her head also, like, just on, like, a weird beach thing, and think there's, like, something tempting her, like, death would, and then Nectasia has to, like, visit this vision as someone and kind of convince her to come back, and, eh, it's kind of cool. I don't yeah. know. Poison earrings, though. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine? That was interesting to me, but... <laughs> feel like in the second book there were a lot of flashbacks and dreams to all of the intrigue and family things going on with Nictasia. Yeah. Were those in the first book and you just went over them because they're so tedious? Yes. Okay. Because they were like the dreams Uh were miserable. And I could imagine if you had read those parts in the first book they would be even worse in the second book. She has some dreams, some similar dreams to that in the first book, oh, I okay. think, where she's going back. But they're not as, like, long or detailed. Maybe they were easier to read in book two because you kind of already know the situation. But, yeah, it's just those two wealthy families are... Oh, I don't want to know. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that oh. part sucked. So, there was something I wanted to point out. <laughs> Which is that, um, so, Nectasia's family, they're, like, the Edenaris or something like that. I don't know how to say it. But their house has, like, a motto, which is an Edenaris always pays her debts. And I don't know much about Game of Thrones, but I know that a Lannister always pays his debts is their unofficial house motto. And the first Game of Thrones came out in 1996. This came out in 1986. Do you think... George R. R. Martin might Maybe be he's a... got a signed copy of Web <laughs> of Wind. Huge silver glass fan. <laughs> so the I guess the silver glass is kind of a theme that carries on in the second one is like them because Corson looks in the pool to check up on Stefan. Yeah. So that's the carrying it doesn't seem worthy of the title though. <laughs> Should yeah. be like wizard fight or something. <laughs> I think the spell kind of came up a few times, but it was like a little... Yeah, it's just not the plot or anything. Yeah. Well, same with Web of Wind, right? Yes, there just happens to be some webs and spider motifs and then a... Or it's a sail that catches the Yeah, and there's like the the web that makes sound when air goes through it. Wind fountain. Wind fountain. Mm -hmm. Talk about the second book, Silver Glass, Mm -hmm. Web of Wind. (laughs) Yeah. Reading this, not having read the first book, it was actually, it wasn't so bad because they, again, they just meet in a tavern. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's nothing really happens in this book. It's just uh, two friends 
not lovers. <laughs> just hanging out, being friends. And the book is best, like, when their friendship shines, like, when, like, them with their witty banter. Yeah. That's when the book is at its best. When either one of them is alone, not, not as good. Mm-mm. Especially with the, if Nick Tej is alone, you're, you're just in for a rough read until Corson comes back. <laughs> I kind of feel the same thing about Corson. I was really annoyed with Corson in the second book because everything that I disliked about her in the first book just got so much worse in the second book. It's uh, like, yes. Okay. But at least if Corson was a star, some action would Might probably happen. happen. <laughs> yeah. Might happen. <laughs> or but yeah, listening to her whine about various love problems yeah. was pretty dumb. Yeah. The book picks up immediately where the last one left off. So Nictasia is still, like, moping over, like, her big love interest dying and it being mostly her fault and realizing that maybe he loved magic more than he loved her. And I felt like book two really relied on book one providing a foundation for what, like, the baseline of these characters is. They seemed much happier, my read. They just seemed like good, like... Like, just a party of murder hobos just having a good time. Yeah. Especially after book one, which had, like, a pretty big story arc with, like, a clear goal and villains, even though they kind of shifted around, it was, like, there were still, like, big threats the whole time. And then we go right into Web of Wind, where it's like, well, what do you want to do now? Uh Everything they do is... Well, what do you got better to do? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I don't want to go to the fair. Well, what are you going to do? Just mope right here? Okay, I'll go to the fair. Why don't we go find the treasure? Sure, we're not doing anything else. <laughs> Why don't we hang out with these people and pick grapes for 100 pages? Sure. <laughs> yeah, this has felt like a side quest. This is like, it's not the main storyline. Yeah. We're just going to do this other stuff that's going to take up some time. You get tired of playing the main quest and you you go farm some some money and yeah. some items for a while. <laughs> it's like they, they just took a little vacation <laughs> to wine country and... Which is not too different from some of our Dungeons and Dragons games. Oh, we, oh yeah. Have, the yeah. first one doesn't sound anything like a game that we would play. <laughs> this second one is like, hey, there's some treasure. Oh, okay. Sounds good. Yeah, we'll check that out. Uh, Let's learn um, the life story of all these people uh, yeah, in this family in this house. Sounds um, good. So it starts with uh, Nick Tasia's sad, so they decide to go to the fair to possibly cheer up. <laughs> and at the fair, they see Newt, who stole Corson's earrings, and Corson beats him up, and then the cops put them in jail. <laughs> yeah. Which is that's, uh, that's how the book starts. Newt happens to have a little paper with a bunch of poems on it that are maybe a treasure map. They're riddles. They're riddles. Right, not poems. And the most frustrating part is you never, like, you don't get to read all the riddles (laughs) or any of the songs or anything on it until they've already solved the thing. (laughs) Wait, don't they have the whole thing in its entirety? No. They, They read two or three at the beginning to explain that they're riddles and for Corson to be like, oh, riddles are hard. This is dumb for for book people. <laughs> but every time they get to a point, then they're like, oh, it's like this part in our map. 
yeah. and then they read it, and it's not one of the ones in the beginning. Yep. Wow. I really thought that there was, like, several pages long of just the riddles. No. Because... I remember reading all of them, and then... Might have been a song. There were, like, oh. there was a song. songs that were, like, six pages long. There were some songs, and there were they did read a few of the riddles. Okay. And some other part, like, the list of names and stuff. I think they should have written the whole thing out, so while you're reading it, you could say, oh, it's I remember it from the riddle, instead of having the characters just dick around, and then some idiot finally realizes it's from the thing. Yeah. I agree. I think that's a different kind of book, though. That's <laughs> not these books. <laughs> um, better. And I'm, I'm just flying ahead here because nothing happens. Uh, okay. Well, um, so they do decide to investigate the riddles and the... Because there's, they're not doing anything else. And the riddles, the family that had this, like, has something to do with the Edenaris on this side of the ocean... That's like, Nictasia's family. Yes. Yeah, so her like distant cousins, distant relatives of Nictasia, but like an offshoot of the family that has a winery. She doesn't know that though. No, they do. Because Corson knows she it. Find, they find yeah, but Nictasia doesn't know that. She finds out. Oh, but Corson knows it because she's a well-traveled person. She has the the local knowledge. Yes. <laughs> Put a lot area. of ranks into local knowledge. Yeah. What's interesting is Newt just disappears. One page he's there, and the next he's gone. And they don't say anything about it. They, they just leave keep him going. In a stable. But they don't say that they left him at the stable. That's the last time you hear from him. That's true. <laughs> he didn't come. But you don't know. He could have just been walking along next to them the whole time. You wouldn't uh. have known. Because I thought he was with them <laughs> until they got to the ruins. And then they're only talking about them trying to find sleep because I go, what about that guy you <laughs> had with you with the treasure map? They didn't say like, oh, he went off on his own or, oh, like, hey, don't steal from us again. Or, you know, if we ever see you again, we'll beat you up or <laughs> the cops won't be able to save you next time. He, he was dead weight. He was slowing them down because he was <laughs> yeah. too injured. I think they, they could have said that too. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they left him at the jail, but maybe... No. No, Nictasia tries to heal him, and they oh, take right, him right. with them to this hay barn. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Just ditch him there. Um. So on their way to this grape land, to the wine Edenaris people, they stop at these haunted ruins, and... Corson accidentally does the spell on a fountain because it's magical haunted ruins. And then it's another horrible dream sequence. Um, and then they're randomly attacked by three swordsmen. It's very random. It's They just walk out of the trees and start hitting them with well, swords. They, they say, hello, strangers. <laughs> and they're like, hi. And they're like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> and they beat them back, and then they walk back into the trees, and Corson chases them and can't find them. And then that's just not mentioned again just until, leave. like, the end of the book. I totally forgot that, but Corson I walks back it. in, and it's like, oh, no, she's fighting them. Oh, I hope she's okay. And then she just wanders back out with a bunch of fruit. <laughs> she's like, hey, got breakfast. 
throws Nictasia a peach. It's so just, it's, here's a thing, here's a okay. thing, this happens yeah, and this happens. That's like, the dungeon master has to make something happen, so you just roll for the random encounter yeah. table, because... Three swordsmen attack. <laughs> <laughs> and after you search for fruit. Um, so, that's about, that's about page 50. Uh, they get to the Edenaris, which is a, a big vineyard of all these people who look kind of similar to Nictasia. And there's a, uh, you get there at page 50. And then from 50 to page 150, nothing, <laughs> the plot does not move forward. It's all character building for all these new characters uh, that were just introduced to and long explanations of how making wine works. Yep. And it just, it just stops. They, uh, you get introduced to every single one of them. They all have names that you cannot remember. Um, there's some romantic situations where Corson has sex with one of the the people yep. that she likes. And Nictasia has sex with the sister of that person, who is her cousin, who looks so much like her that everyone mistakes the two of them. <laughs> Which yes. is really weird to me. Yeah. I guess having sex with cousins is normal in this universe, but also having sex with someone who looks almost exactly like yeah. you is really weird. So, I mean, it was super weird, but then I was thinking about it. It's like, okay, she was about to marry, like, she had an arranged marriage with her direct cousin, mm -hmm. like, first cousins. These people, like, branched off pretty far back in their family history, and so it's, like, not that weird for that reason. I would still feel weird. But... She looks almost identical other than being more tan from being, like, working in a she vineyard. She has more muscles. Yeah. She's muscly version. But it's like Nictasia's mirror biased <laughs> <laughs> from a silver medal lover. Yeah. But, yeah, it was a little bit weird, but... I mean, it's cool that it's such a sex-positive world where everyone's just boning everyone and it's no one worries about it, yeah. but... I, I don't know. My well, my scruples come in. <laughs> it's like, if you think it's weird that she looks exactly like her but has minor differences, the next morning she gets up and cuts her hair to look exactly <laughs> like Nick Yeah, Tages. that's a weird thing to do so, after you have sex with someone. I, I don't know. What else happens? They go have a pool party. Yeah. They go swimming. Mm -hmm. We find out Corson's afraid of water the, and swimming. That, I felt like, was super weird because, like, they traveled across the ocean. Like, yeah. she's familiar with the water. She's been on boats before. It seems silly that she wouldn't be able to swim. Yeah. Having been a soldier and fought in, in wars and traveled the world and stuff. Yeah. So, that... She has too much armor. <laughs> <laughs> Not based on this cover. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> She's basically wearing a swimsuit on yeah, the cover. Yeah, it's true. Um, like, it made a little bit more sense that maybe Nictasia wouldn't have learned how to swim, but... Yeah, there's a lot in this book where Corson is sort of the fish out of water, and I feel like it should have been Nictasia who's the fish out of water because she's a wealthy sorceress who just reads books all the time. And she's in a outdoorsy. Yeah. Sort of she does mention that a few times. She's like really shocked that they don't have a very good library at their house. <laughs> she's like, oh my God. And she's this like, library is no. only one whole room. <laughs> yeah. How am I going to survive? Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, she does have issues like fitting in. 
But she's just, like, always able to just be smart enough to do what they do and kind of follow, follow along to fit in. So it, like, doesn't end up causing any problems for her to be totally out of her element. Um, and then they also have a lot of dream visions and stuff. That's all the things that happen in this 100 pages. And then on page 150, this book starts, it, yeah, picks up again. Did where you I not didn't get make there? It. Nope, I just am stuck in the graves. <laughs> you didn't I'm get just make like it? in a mush pile of graves. I'm drowning a little bit. Did you at least make it through the crush? No. Oh, no. God. I didn't. I just heard a lot about it, how it was like really exciting. Yeah. Was uh, it really exciting? No, it was boring. Okay. They, they have to like pick grapes. Nictasia gets heat stroke. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> she gets a, her first sunburn. Oh. Um. Yeah, you could even say that the book doesn't even start till page 50, because really the beginning was introduction and they show them the riddles. Mm-hmm. And then we just dump that. And then it's grapes. You, The last 50 pages could have just been the book. I missed it. <laughs> you I missed, missed the, the book. whole book. Um, where they figure out enough of the riddles based on some Simvelin ruins, which Simvelins are the people that the who wrote the riddles. Uh, they figure out enough of them to find a, a cave there's a lot of red herrings like false positives like oh the my, riddles there's so many and it's if we had read the riddle ourselves those <laughs> red herrings would be better because then we could be tricked by them and yeah. get excited or there could be some tension but that's not what happens and the whole cave sequence is another one of those build up like oh some magic could happen there could be ghosts What's going on? And then it just turns out there are slavers living in the caves who have been kidnapping people and selling them into slavery, which is the the weird disappearances. The weird disappearances. That, the weird sounds. They knew, oh, okay. That, like, like, geographically, that's where they're living. Yeah, I they're, see. They're under the grape place in caves. There's like a okay. cave maze. The All right. Yeah, there's a there's a labyrinth. Oh, because there's all those uh, maze paintings in right. the house. Okay. Um, underneath. Got it. Yeah, there's a bunch of like little clue things that I'm just skipping because they mm-hmm. like they don't lead to anything. Um, Except the key. Gotta get the key. Yeah, they find the key in a fountain that l- is a web of wind because wind goes through it and makes sound and it looks kind of like a web. And they find a key. And Where's the key? It's in a fountain. So oh, inside the fountain. So yes. you know how the fountain was like it had like flowers and stuff like that. Yeah. Eventually, they figure out that from a kid's perspective, after talking to a child, that if you get underneath and look up at it, there's, like, details on the underside of everything, and one of the flowers has a stamen that's actually the key. Oh, and that's, like, okay, Nictasia, like, puts her fingers in the flowers at the very beginning, like, way before Uh this happens. She's like, oh, yeah, it's even, like, like a real flower, and then someone's, like, when they figure out that the... The, at that point, when they think that the riddles are just fake, they're like, these are just children's riddles. But they actually are! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so the whole Simvillain riddle and this treasure, it was a children's game that okay. the Simvillains set up. All and right. the treasure was a, tr- a treasure for children. Okay. And it was all an adventure for children to go on. And so the special cave that they found in the Maze of Caves leads them back to the haunted uh, ruins that they spent the night in way back in the beginning of the book. And then they search all that, and, oh, they there was, like, a sneaky ghost, and I just realized that that was Newt. 
Cause, cause, cause they remember they see a ghost and they chase it around. They never find it, and then they're like, "Oh, I couldn't find that. Who was it? I don't know. Let's just, let's just keep going." It was new. Yeah, but they never say that, that was new. That was a you gotta be paying attention. Figure these things out. Um, anyway, uh, and then they find out finally that the well in the ruins is not a well, and it leads to a giant cave. And they had brought one of the captured slaves. Uh, with them because he was also a treasure hunter and claims to be one of the children of the Simvelans. The Simvelans owned part of that vineyard before the Edenaris, but they were what, like burned to death by the village yeah, for being There's some spooky. dark history about the Simvelans. Um and they go through the cave and then there's a really they gotta squeeze through a really tight cave and Corson has fear of fear of tight spaces. Uh, she's a big lady, so... What is that called? Uh, claustrophobia. Claustro- she has claustrophobia, uh, so they have to crawl on their bellies through this really tight cave, and it's not tense. <laughs> and then they find a a door that the key would go to, but Corson had forgotten it. <laughs> so wow. they have to go back. Okay. <laughs> they gotta backtrack through <laughs> caves. <laughs> um... Is there any witty banter involved in that at least? Uh, or no, is it Corson just feels like, bad uh, and the other guy's suit like calls them idiots and like goes ahead of them. <laughs> okay. And on the door there's a poem that could a riddle that could mean death or treasure. Hmm. And they get back and the other guy they brought with them has locked them in the cave. And he's gonna let them starve to death and then go get the treasure himself. Hmm. And then Newt just appears again, just like walks back into the book and pushes him (laughs) off a cliff and he dies. (laughs) And then Newt saves them. And there's, there's some banter between Newt and Corson again. Good, good. And then, uh, they inform the, the Edenaris, they get their key and they go back to open this door. And they bring some of the Edenaris with them to help because they think there's going to be a bunch of gold. But then it's books. Oh, <laughs> it's a library. How it's nice. a big library, which is really funny because about halfway through the grape part, when they're looking around for the treasure, Corson's like, "All these riddles and garbage. This is, treasure's probably books or some <laughs> something that's gonna enlighten our minds because it lasts forever." Yeah. And then Corson was right. Wow. So that's why it was for children, because once they were able to find the library on their own, they were ready to start their training. Wow. There's also just a random labyrinth behind the library for, un- it was some sort of training, labyrinth? yeah, training thing for the kids. They're supposed to be able to get through the labyrinth or something. And that would be like the way for adults to get into the library normally, so they don't have to like shimmy through a bunch of tight spaces. Yeah. And... Um, but so if, if you if you were a kid that didn't like riddles, you just never get past first grade or something. That would in be this, me you know, in this yeah. world. I hate riddles. I hate riddles. She's <laughs> <laughs> um, not cut out to be a scholar. That makes sense yeah. that that is the thing that happens because there's so much focus on. The kids, there's like a bunch of kids in this vineyard. They mention it like multiple times yeah. without that being like the main focus of everything. It's mm-hmm. just like, okay, kids <laughs> everywhere, crawling with kids. So then... Uh, this could have been the end. No, are we at the end? Nope. Uh, <laughs> it turns out there's a book missing from the library. Yeah, there... And it's a book about summoning demons. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and it's going to be the night of the transition from like harvest time to winter. So magic's super strong now to summon demons. So they got to go hunt for the book and find the people who stole the book because they're going to summon a demon to kill everybody. And they find this lady, Jocelyn, or Joey Sellis. Or Joey Cleese. She was, like, friends with the guy that betrayed them. She was another one of the children of the Sim villains. And she poisons them with some, some drinks. There's this funny shop. I don't know if this is, like, a real thing. But you go into the shop and you're like, I would like a fancy drink, please. And they brew the fancy drink for you after you ask for it. And then they give it to you. Which a dram like, shop? Yeah, is that a real thing? It's a real word. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've only heard it in reference to like a bar these days, but like I think that it's an it old seemed, thing. It seemed like a kind of like a combination between like a bar and like a cafe where you would get like coffee or something. Because what is course in order? So it was something. It doesn't say. There's like, weird. I'll have whatever you're making right now. And then she's like, well, I was making poison. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> Who is in the full party of people searching for this book? Uh, just Corson and Nictasia. Oh, okay. They did not bring anyone with them because they didn't want to make everyone feel sad before their harvest party. Oh, yeah. Which think, you would, I feel like you should okay. warn everyone instead of. I think Nictasia wanted to like investigate before alarming anyone. Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't clear if the book was stolen, even though it was pretty clear that it was stolen. They get knocked out and they're taken back to the library, but this time they're in the labyrinth and it's dark and they got to find their way through the labyrinth. Oh boy. And they do. And they find uh, a demon cult summoning a demon and Corson is like, okay, Nictasia, you go warn everyone. I'm just going to kill all these people. And Nictasia's really worried that she's not going to be able to do it. Uh, but like, but, but Corson, comes like Corson comes right behind. He's like, oh yeah, they're all like eighty year old dudes. I killed them all very easily. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny because right before that, like yeah, Nictasia's like running away and like kind of thinking about Corson like sacrificing herself to like you know stay behind. <laughs> like, like a few steps behind her yeah. on the ladder, on the stairs. <laughs> and, um, and then Nictasia, like, realizes she's not going to make it in time to, like, call for help. So she just goes to that, that old bell tower and rings the bell to, like, call for help. But that collapses the whole cave system. The bell is so heavy that it collapses the tower, which then collapses the cave, which definitely kills any of the old people that Corson didn't kill. <laughs> and then, is this the end of the book? Nope. There's more. The old people successfully summoned the demon, uh, but because... Nictasia killed them, she paid the price, so she's in control of the demon. And a demon is actually just a genie who grants wishes. Okay. <laughs> that's not what it's supposed to be. But that's how it works. <laughs> it, you summon an otherworldly creature, and then it says, I'll do your bidding, and you can you get an amount of wishes until it's satisfied. Or you can wish that it's free and it, it goes away <laughs> to live its life and it's free from having to grant wishes anymore. Does she do that? She does. Oh. But there, first she asks to see the future of her city and she sees it in flames. The seduction of power is very great and she can't trust herself not to use the demon 
for her own ends to save the city or kill people or something. And then she tells it to, like, take a form that she recognizes and it shows up as Ben and, like, comes up and is, like, talking in his voice. Yeah, so not knowing that Ben was seduced by power and not Mm. knowing that power can seduce you made it a little bit less... Uh, of like a thing to me mm. it's like oh it's just nick tasia like really power hungry or mm. <laughs> um and so nick tasia decides to leave it up to vaughn which is god and just turn off her brain and just say the first thing that comes to comes out her mouth which is to free the demon and i feel like this is a terrible way to end a story because you take away all the agency of nick tasia like, it should have been her overcoming the the desire for power. That's how you tell the story. <laughs> well, I mean, she kind of did, like, by because she had the option to, like, say, yes, I do want all this power, and I am going to go back and save my city, and I am going to bring my dead lover back, and... Yes, but she took the easy way out instead of just doing it herself. Well, what I thought was really funny about this ending... <laughs> During that hundred pages where they're just goofing around with this family and Corson is like sleeping with that guy, keeps coming back to this idea of like action over words, like because he's trying to like flirt with her and she's like basically shut up, let's have sex. <laughs> Nictasia's thinking at the end where she's like, yeah, maybe Corson is right that sometimes you need action over words. That was. Corson's sex motto saves the day. <laughs> um, but it's it's God that saves the day. God speaks through her. It just it's like building up the religion and her religious thing in the story, which isn't a part of it. And the whole book has been the character of Nectasia and the character of Corson, like experience like the whole book, nothing happens, but the characters develop. It's just character development. Mm-hmm. And then to take away the the last real <laughs> bit of character development and give it to some like to the religion seems like a mistake. Sure. Yeah. And then the book actually ends. <sighs> Except not quite. Because Corson sails away and Nictasia awkwardly kisses her on the nose. It's a weird place to kiss someone. Do you know where she's sailing to? Yes, back, back to Stefan. Okay. And Nictasia is staying with the Edenaris. Okay. And that's it. That's both books. There are two more books in the series. I don't think I'm going to read anymore. <laughs> Especially because I would have to go back and read the first one. <laughs> but you guys still think you're going to read three and four? I think I would because I kind of feel like book two might be a low point. I'm hoping that three and four would be more similar to one if like at least four yeah i think there's threads that are kind of left unresolved and i think those maybe kind of give some motivation for something to happen (laughs) and i think that you know as long as stuff was happening the like the first book was pretty fun to read i think yeah i agree um yeah the first was really fun to read and if i make it through book two, I will probably continue <laughs> on to three and four. But we'll see. The second book wasn't that bad. And my reading experience wasn't that bad. It was really boring for a good portion of it. But nothing was offensive to me. Nothing was particularly painful other than the dream sequences. For a bargain bin book, it's pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, but it looks like we have a ton of additional thoughts <laughs> about this book. Um... <sighs> So I kind of want to start off with my first one. Sure. uh, Because I think it'll be fun. 
I talked about the relation to Ursula Quinn's Earthsea trilogy. There is also, um, I oh. feel like it, re- oh, what? So that was in relation to the magic system. The magic and like the way magic is treated. And then also that there's just a bunch of underground labyrinths. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Definitely in Earthsea, I feel like the whole magic system is a lot more elegant. Yes, it's, Earthsea is miles better than this in every possible way. That's that's not a um, it's not an opinion. That's a fact. But um, there there were like little tidbits that reminded me of it. Which yeah. Um, but I was gonna say partly I kind of got the sense that this the magic system in this was like overly opaque and convoluted, so that you can relate to Corson, who's, like, constantly annoyed by Nictasia, always being kind of, like, a little bit of a know-it-all and always, like, oh, you know, actually it works like this or actually it works this other way or there's all this other stuff that you don't know about because you're an uneducated barbarian. It kind of was okay because it... Yeah, and I think the the part where she summons a demon reminds me of a lot of the first uh, Wizard of Earthsea where he 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 does some magic that he shouldn't be doing and he accidentally summons this familiar of himself that ends up being like the main yeah. uh, villain and it's a lot of like you don't understand what you're doing and you're dealing with things that are beyond your control and you accidentally summon something that shouldn't be here and uh, I don't know there's a lot of content wise callbacks to Earthsea. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of parts that reminded me of uh, our long experience of reading Terry Goodkind, oh, God. which if you don't know, he wrote a series of called the sword of truth, which starts out pretty good and dives down into some of the worst reading you could possibly do in your life. <laughs> uh, but one thing that happens at least a hundred times in all of his books is someone will give a monologue where they explain something. And unfortunately, everyone in Goodkind's books are super smart, the best guys. They're all the best. But so in so in order for one to monologue explaining something, everyone else has to become an idiot and be like, oh, what does that mean? Oh, I don't get it. And just everyone is just becoming smarter and dumber all the time. It never makes any sense. And this happens a few times in here where Corson does a monologue or Nictasia does a monologue or one of the grape people does a monologue and then everyone else is reduced to a blithering idiot the end that's the end of that uh and then i also got reminded of tolkien a little bit not certainly not in the scope of his stories or anything but just the giant amount of proper nouns in these stories everything has got a name and they're long long names yeah there's there's a part where they start explaining each other's proper names and like one person isn't educated so they get it wrong let me see if i can find one of the proper names i won't be able to pronounce any of the names correctly uh so nictasia's real name is hlavin nictasia v tesselesk ricime astiere wis Gwethrad Moir Bren Roshdil Arn Ednaris. <laughs> yep. And Daisha, who's the love interest of Nictasia in this story, who looks exactly like her. Mm-hmm. Her true name is Hlavin Frondacine Leclarina. <laughs> no, Leclarina V. Mesthelde Jice Bren. Vale Arn Edneris. <laughs> and I think some of those are based on your mother and some are based on where you are, but it's just shoot me. 
things happen. But everything has a name and every location has a name. So since you guys have read more of this than I have, I've proposed, I have made a game oh. where I'm going to read the proper names of things and you're going to tell me what they are. Oh, no. Oh, boy. Okay, are you ready? Yeah. Grika. Spelt, spelt G-R-A-I-K-A. Is that a food? No. <laughs> Is it a drink? No. Um, All right, Lindsay. Uh, uh, <laughs> I have no idea what that is. Okay. Do you want me to tell you? Yes. It's a bird. What? Uh, it's one of the birds in one of the riddles. Oh, it was the answer to one of the right. riddles. It's a Grica bird. I hate riddles, as we've discussed. <laughs> so, all right, number two, Osela, O S E L A. Oh, is that something that happens? Oh, you wouldn't know. You didn't read it. <laughs> ah! Yeah, it's definitely not from the first like... book. <laughs> is that a food? No. <laughs> A drink? No. <laughs> um, a poison. Okay. <laughs> that is the town they starred in. Oh. oh. Where the wait? Where the festival was? Yeah. Oh. oh okay. Yeah. There's food at the festival. There is. <laughs> you hear a lot about that. Eventually, so. I'm gonna get a food. <laughs> um, Estheron. E S T H A I R. Oh, that has something to do with do you know no okay <laughs> tell me i think maybe that has something to do with ben that's him i think no no I don't he's think so. she, no, no sorry yeah, that's a different has, word he has another there's a lot of e things uh say it again estheron e-s-t-h-a-i-r-o-n is it a strain yes. of grapes it is <laughs> oh my oh. god <laughs> One point. <laughs> the golden grapes are Astheron yeah. grapes. Okay. But he never says why they're Astheron grapes. So I don't know what Astheron means. But they have some Astheron grapes. Okay. Zetari. That's a food. It's That's a food. <laughs> I don't remember. Is it like a kebab? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's the that's the spicy samosa kebab thing oh, yeah. that they yes. eat at the beginning. Yes, pretty good. And the, the festival end. street food. Liruvath. L i r u v a t h. These are really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I could have made this way harder just by listing the names of the people that work at the vineyard. <laughs> yeah, that would be the hardest thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, is it a book? No. Is it a festival? No. Mm, was it a location? It's a location. Is it the mountains? Yes. Well, basically. One of the mountains. Uh, it's it's the state that's next to the one there oh. in where those mountains are and where the slaves are from. Right. Oh, okay. There is, a, there is a named mountain, but I didn't put it in my <laughs> I well, think I wrote it down. I wouldn't there. recognize it if you did. <laughs> the Reaper's Eye. Oh, uh, it's a star in the night sky. It's red. Um, it has another name, but the farmers know it as the Reaper's Eye. Yep. And I think Corson knows that somehow. She's got that folk wisdom, that's why. <laughs> you guys have three points, I think. Oh, yeah, we're doing good. 
Isper the Mad. <laughs> um, I may have been past where I did it. That, one for you. that one's for you, Mimi. Uh, is it a drink? <laughs> is, uh, shoot. That one's familiar, but I can't put my finger on it. Uh, is he one of the old guys at the end? That no. It's for the Mad is an author who wrote an autobiography <gasps> that Nictasia's uh, really into. Hlan. H-L-A-N-N. I know this one. It's at the front of everyone's name. Which is a city? I don't know. I was hoping you guys would tell me what Hlan means. <laughs> they say it all the time in this book. Oh, and they say like Hlan knows or Hlan oh, whatever. Is it another type of? Is it another god or religion? Oh yeah. Oh wait. We have like Vaughn no, and Ace and yeah. There's like so Ice. they mm. go over all the different religions in the first one because Nictasia does a swear using one of like the commoners' gods, and it's like a funny thing, but. But I don't. I don't remember Han. I re- I just remember Asia and. Uh, oh, is that how you say it? I don't no, know. It's not ice. I always read it as ice. <laughs> um, Romper. Romper. <laughs> it's just a funny outfit men wear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. That that was it. There's there's oh, wow. a million and a half more, but it's just a slice. So. I do think there was some consistency in those, in how the words are used. Like, Arn and Bren mm-hmm. come up all the time, and like one of them must mean like from somewhere. I think or, it's Bren yeah. because Corson's name is Corson Brentorisk, and we hear that that's her town. But yeah. I did not realize that until the explanation of how the names were formed. I thought that Bren was just her middle name. Uh, but I just don't care. <laughs> Y- Don't yeah. give me a name that's two <laughs> sentences long. And I felt like the problem was that all the words felt the same. It wasn't like they had a different feeling based on like the region they were from. And they all felt like they came out of like a random syllable generator. Yeah. They were like unpronounceable and like If you're not gonna go full Tolkien and make up a language, you probably shouldn't yeah. go half Tolkien. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't it was all in the naming of things that these things appeared and their regular speech didn't really have very many like tricks of that sort yeah. of nature. The it was way they normal, talked didn't reflect that. Modern English really. Um anyway, the influence from Tolkien, pretty obvious just from these fantasy elements. It's then, probably the influence of Tolkien is because it's influenced by Dungeons and Dragons, which oh, is influenced yeah. by Tolkien. Yeah. I think we've already talked about how much it's like just someone's Dungeons and Dragons it, game. It is, but also the character Nictasia and Corson in the second book, because uh-huh. there's no plot, they are just murder hobos. <laughs> yeah. Where they're going for treasure and killing people along the way and just living in other people's homes, going to taverns. <laughs> yeah. And they were like that, but with like a goal in the first book. I also saw some comparisons also to Robert Howard, because... Um, I did read the full Chronicles of Conan the yeah, Barbarian. Yeah, we're kidding. Mimi is an expert on barbarians. <laughs> She's read every Robert Howard Conan the Barbarian story. I think that those were like a lot more focus on kind of the setting and they were a lot slower, especially book one anyway, was like very fast paced, a lot more dialogue and character focus. But 
The whole scene at Estelbin's castle, kind of at the end of the first one, reminded me a little bit of that. Because I think there was um, a Conan story where he's kind of like, you know, being a rogue, stealing stuff from this kind of crazy, like, gem castle. And then once he gets out, the whole thing vanishes. And it's like, was it even there to begin with? Very spooky, kind of surreal thing. That whole scene kind of reminded me of that. But otherwise, um, and then just Corson being a little bit like Conan, but... The second book sometimes is written like it was someone's first draft. Like they sat down, wrote a book, got up and went and got dinner. Uh, where there's these scenes that just end like bad movie edits where you're just... One thing is happening and then like complete tonal shift, some other thing is happening and there's no mention or like build up to the end or anything. Uh, and uh, the most obnoxious though is characters that just appear and disappear in a scene without introduction or explanation newt leaving in the beginning is the biggest one because he's a character that matters but while they're wandering around the vineyard other adonaris people like there'll be a dialogue tree where nictasia said this and then corson said this and then uh, jasper says this you're like who is where did jasper come from and then you like Jasper's like doesn't say anything else. They don't talk about what he's doing, <laughs> and that happens all the time through this the the grape mush of the middle book of there's a hundred and twenty different Adonaris vineyard people, and they all have different names, and none of them are brought. They're just floating around. Everything that happens will just pop in. Just walking in and out of the scene <laughs> yeah. like in a bad movie, yeah. just like. Oh. Um. You know, I think some of that might be explained by this being a collaboration between two different writers. That's true. But I from uh, is it like that in the first book though? Less, but I think in the first book I kept thinking that characters were appearing because they kept using different names for Ben. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes they would call him by his last name instead of his first name or his full name and I was like, "Wait, is this that other sorcerer? Like, what's going on? Who's here? What's happening? But... Yeah. The first book also, there's just kind of a smaller cast of characters in general, I think. Yeah. And it's a lot more tightly focused on just Nectasia and Corson and then, like, the occasional people that they encounter or are involved with along the way versus, like, an entire family of Greek people. <laughs> yeah. That was what I had to say about that. Then, throughout the second book... All mine are about the second book, obviously. Yeah. Throughout the second book, they'll build up to, oh, this could be a fantastical situation. Is this magic? Is it ghosts? Is there going to be treasure? And every single time it's, oh, no, it's a trap door in the ground. Or, <laughs> oh, it's just some bell ringing. Or, oh, the treasure's books. <laughs> and I do like that. It sort of grounded it and made it feel more real and then made magic more exciting. But also when just nothing is happening, it's like the book is just beating you over the head with how nothing. Like, hey, look, are you going to have fun? It's going to be good. Nope. Taking that away. You're going to continue to suffer through the vineyard grape making part. Just a little too real. Much like real life. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, I, I also noticed several goosebumps like cliffhangers where the chapter ends with an oh no could this be something about to happen and then the next chapter starts with nope 
It was something else. Or uh, Nick Tasia goes to bed and then someone opens the door. Yeah. And the next time, it's Daisha. You want a bone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. There were a few of those. <laughs> um, but because of that, because it was so tedious, just not fantastical things happening, the demon was super exciting. And I was I was completely riveted by the demon. And I actually really liked the description of the demon and the way they talked about it. I thought it was really cool. But it also did not feel like it fit in this book because it was like a sci-fi demon. Yeah. It was, it belonged in 2001 A Space Odyssey, not in a sword and sorcery book. I think the demon had kind of a similar feeling to the the final chapters of the first book also, where it's like, I don't know. I thought it fit okay. It was, it was maybe just, there was just too much like fact and science in the description mm-hmm. of the demon. Uh, and it didn't fit with the mystical nature of mm-hmm. a lot of the other magic. But maybe that's because you were in Nictasia's head instead of Corson's head. It, when reading, it felt separate from the rest of the story and like it was something else. Maybe it seemed a lot more out of place after the 150 pages of nothing and like goofing around well, that's at the what pool I'm, and like yeah that's what i'm saying is they kept on uh faking you out about magic and then when huzz happens it's exciting but also it doesn't quite fit yeah maybe it fit more in the context of reading both in a row though and i guess it didn't seem too sci-fi because in even in dungeons and dragons like you start getting into like the planes that's kind of what it reminded me of like but what psycho plays in the planes for D&D? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I was also thinking how, like, the labyrinth scenes were totally miserable. And labyrinth scenes in a game of Dungeons & Dragons <laughs> are usually miserable. Well, so are just riddles. Yes. Playing riddles in D&D sucks because you're not, your character isn't figuring out a riddle. It's like you, who's probably not as smart as you want the person you're role-playing to be, is trying to figure out this dumb riddle the DM made. But as a dungeon master, I know that I always come back to this, wouldn't it be fun to put a labyrinth in there? (laughs) Wouldn't it be fun to make everybody solve this fun riddle maze? Haven't we both done that? Yep. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm excited to get to this description of the demon because I did think that there were some really nice descriptions in this book of, like, setting and certain features um, in the landscape and characters. Um, I thought that that was done pretty well. Grapes sounded beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) Really delicious. (laughs) Another thought, additional thought I had is that Corson is way too much of a scaredy cat to be a barbarian. It's throughout the book for comedic effect, you find out Corson is secretly afraid of ghosts, the dark, water, but it, it just keeps happening. Yeah, heights. Magic. Yeah. It keeps happening, and it's like, you can do this once, maybe twice, to build a, a like a tough character. You can't do it for everything. After that, it really started to lose effect, and some of them didn't even make sense. But yeah, I can see, like, that does work if you already establish this character's nature. She's super tough. She can kill like a hundred guys. And then, oh, she's afraid of leeches. Yeah, but, you, you pick like one or two and then it comes up like the Indiana Jones thing. And like magic kind of made sense to have Barbarians her. Barbarians hate magic. Yeah. <laughs> to have her playing off of Nictasia also and to have her be like a little bit 
uneasy about things that don't seem natural. She would have like a high wisdom score. Um, I also, so those scenes always happened in Nictasia's head. And this is another, a lot of these bargain bin books make this mistake where the perspective shifts. Yeah. And it's not very good when it does. Usually it's okay when you're Nictasia. Usually it's okay when you're Corson, but sometimes you're Daisha. Mm. Or just Ugh. random vineyard person number yeah. seven. And the, and it's just, ooh. <laughs> Especially <laughs> the sex scene with Nictasia happens half in Daisha's head. And man, that is brutal. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was a huge problem, actually. And I, I think even the switches from Corson to Nictasia like, happen way too abruptly and too often. Because they should have such a different perspective from each other. The, like parts from each of their perspectives should be totally different but that's all of my final thoughts for the book oh wait no the dream sequences sucked (laughs) you said that (laughs) i said it a lot they really sucked um that's the end i did notice piers anthony my least favorite author (laughs) who wrote the worst book ever mute had a little review on the back of the first book and his uh it's fun to see a tall, handsome, hard-fighting, hard-drinking, barbarian hero who is female. <laughs> Man, Thanks, I hate Piers. this guy. <laughs> Thanks, Piers. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So who do you think this book is for? I think the book one is kind of for me, but also not entirely. Not entirely? Why yeah. not entirely? Did book two ruin your view of book it's one? Possible, yeah. <laughs> book two may have ruined my view of book one. Um, but I'm hoping that things are going to get better. Well, what made it a book for you? And what made it not a uh, book for you? As much as uh, Corson and Nictasia's romantic relationship was sometimes random and not really that important to the plot, it is always exciting to see like same-sex relationships not being the huge focus of a book. Yeah, it was um, cool. It was just not a big deal. Yeah, and it's kind of like, I think everyone is kind of pretty bisexual in this book. Like, it's not just yep. them. There's like a whole scene with Destiver and like Stefan's housekeeper that is like a, it's a dream sequence, may or may not be real. Yep. But it's like, it's clear that like very few people in this book are like explicitly straight, which is, is cool. I don't know. It's, yeah. It's interesting. I like it. Personally, I think I also really liked that it was just like reading someone's D&D campaign. Yeah. Um, I think that is something I'm interested in doing. Definitely not for everyone, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I thought it might be for someone who is a fan of role-playing games where you kind of... Like, because this would be a good role-playing game. Like, if someone had this adventure, it was a good game. Book one. Well, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. 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 I harvest grapes for most of my game. Okay, well, I know that I would since we spend, like, an hour playing with dogs in our campaign. But, um, whereas, like... Reading Hobgoblin is like, if you enjoy role-playing games, but you want to read the worst of them. <laughs> but Yeah, that's true. So this would be like a good role-playing game. It would also be good to like harvest ideas for campaigns if you're a dungeon master. Like not the whole thing, obviously, but pieces of it. And then I was kind of thinking like maybe fans of just kind of generally sword and sorcery barbarians. But then more specifically, lady barbarians. And more specifically, queer lady barbarians. Because, I mean, both the heroes just very bisexual, very open about it. and 
I thought the whole just free sexual world didn't like was pretty cool. Very sex positive world. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, not free sex world, but sex positive <laughs> <world>. <laughs> two different books. <laughs> uh, well, who do you think? This yeah, book I is hope for? this answer isn't insulting to Lindsay, but I thought this book was for children. That's fine. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> um, I only read the second book, but it seems like the first book too was a little bit. It's a fun romp with silly characters there's riddles and treasure there's danger but not too much danger a little bit of spookiness but not too spooky they get the bad guy in the end there's maybe a little bit too much sex but it's not described in too much detail and i remember a kid's book that were pretty graphic yeah they don't mix like sex with like assault yeah they never do like good kind obviously like those are for Here's kids anthony but yeah <laughs> like uh yeah all the sex is like consensual and like in a positive light um so it probably wouldn't be a problem for kids to uh read how much sex there was in this yeah but maybe parents would feel uncomfortable with how much sex there was i don't know there's but, like Corson and Stefan's meeting. I'm not sure yeah, how consensual that was. I guess so. I didn't read that one. Just a flashback, though. <laughs> They're fine now. But I think I think this would be a fun book for kids. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the second one where there's there's just adults solving like kid problems. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Maybe not with the covers that they have. <laughs> the but... covers are the most explicit. <laughs> but. Um, okay. So I think that's it for Silver Glass and Silver Glass Web of Wind. If you'd like to join us next month, we are reading The Sign of the Mute Medusa by Ian Wallace. That's it. Thanks for joining us, Lindsay. Okay. <laughs>